weeks ago when I was preparing uh, to preach at least these next few Sundays in the month of June, I, I had outlined already all of my sermons uh, for the month of June. And so uh, even the very first sermon, which I'll just let you know, confession time, that wasn't the sermon I outlined, but I felt like if God had put something on my heart to preach on last week, well, helping Stacy and the others put this together, <laughs> and I say this because this is a production in and of itself, uh, helping them put this together for fusion, uh, I found out what the, the theme, overall theme for fusion was, and the theme is Jesus' power will bring us through. Uh, Jesus' power will bring us through. And so I opted to change <laughs> another one of my sermons to fall pretty much in line with the theme of fusion, which is Jesus' power will bring us through. And so what I want to do on this morning is going to be a whole lot different from what I did on last week, at least as far as time is concerned. Uh, last week was a phenomenon in and of itself, and I'm glad to know that you guys decided to come out uh, a second week in a row, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and that, you know, some people didn't decide to, to change membership because the preacher went, um, went on for 40 minutes. No, it wasn't 40, it was 45. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and I know because I checked, uh, and if we add in the song that we sang, it was probably around 15 minutes. But I didn't check the song, right? Uh, I checked when I started preaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor and a blessing uh, to be with you all. Uh, it's, it's a privilege. It's, it's humbling in so many ways to, for me to express to individuals when they ask, uh, who do you preach for? I now smile and say I preach for the Antioch Church of Christ in South Nashville, Tennessee. And there, there's a lot that, that could be said about that, but I, I just want to say on behalf of my family and I, and I'll say this maybe for the next couple of weeks until you guys get fed up saying it, I, I just want to thank you guys so much for the way that you have cared for us, for all of your encouragement, all of your advice, just everything that you have done. Uh, I can't even forget wit, um, Brother Wit, for this, because uh, as I've explained to people and a few of the elders, when they ask me, you know, how do you feel? How did it feel last week? It, it, felt, it felt like we came home. It, it, it felt like we, 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 it was a seamless just transition from, from one place or one person to another, and, and that has a lot to do, of course, with God, that has a lot to do with the Spirit, but it also has a lot to do with, with all of you in the way that you have embraced us, and quite frankly, the elders who have entrusted me and my family to be here and, and to minister to and minister with the congregation in this area. So I just want to thank you for that, uh, particularly on last week. Uh, I was away at Memphis, Harding School of Theology, engaged in an intensive class there, and it's, it's, it was intensive for a reason. Uh, I was pretty much on my feet for no less than, than 10 hours in the day. We were in the library, the library, depending on your tongue, from 8 a.m. in the morning to as, as, as long as 9 p.m. at night, just constantly moving, going through the aisles, upstairs, downstairs, checking periodicals, and all that kind of stuff. It was intense. And while I was there, my family, my, my wife, 
whom I missed very much, uh, my kids, whom I adore, yet I give a lot of headaches sometimes, they were, they were with you. And here's the thing, there was no real communication between me and them for the entire week because there was no reception, there was no service. Sherian had given me a number to call and every time I called, I just couldn't get on to anybody. So I had to trust God and I had to trust that the brethren that were there would look out for and take care of my family. When I saw my family yesterday, there was no cuts, there was no bruises, there was no bumps. Um, <laughs> You know, and I'm just praising God. You, you guys don't know. I, I, I'm just praising God that, that everything was all right. Beyond my family, I'm praising God because, you know, I know many people came back with uh, tired legs and tired bodies. Uh, I know some people came back with a tan and sunburned. But in, in spite of the tan and the sunburn, there was no broken limbs. There was no broken bones. There was no, you know, injury of any sort. So God does take care of his people. And I just want to thank you guys so much for that. Uh, and I'm just praising God for the family he has now placed us and allowed us to be a part of. Let me hasten on really quickly because you know what my mortal enemy is. <sighs> Time. <laughs> I'm going to get to the text. <laughs> but before I get to the text, there are some really specific things before I build my, my, my theme and my topic. There are some really specific things that I want to say and an outline I, I generally want to deal with before we get into Matthew chapter 14. Now, once we get to Matthew chapter 14, I'll be really honest with you. I'll always try to be honest with you. We are going to move along really quickly because one of the, 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 the beautiful things about me choosing Matthew chapter 14 is I believe it's a pretty familiar text to each and every single one of us. That's the account, if you didn't know. That's the account of Jesus walking on the water while the disciples were in a boat in the middle of a storm. You guys with me now? All right, so, so we're going to get there eventually, and we're going to move along really quickly. And hopefully, I'm just, I'm just telling you this so you could give me that, that little shoulder tap. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we, we will be done by 20 minutes past 10. Joe David. At the hour of 20 minutes past 10, you start making your way up. <laughs> but let me, get, let me get to this, and, and I hope if you're taking notes, I know we have some, some folks at home still. Uh, I, I encourage you to have your Bibles out, to have something out so that you can take notes when necessary, because it's going to be a lot. And, and here's the funny thing about, about sermons. Before you even get to the main point, you have enough of a sermon within there, within the background, within the introduction. You would have enough to generate a sermon or sermons all on your own, even before we get to the main text. So I have sermons within the sermon, within the sermon, and so I'm asking you uh, to be diligent in taking your notes and more so be diligent in just staying with me as we go through some of these, some of these things. I believe it's fair and honest to say that we are a limited people with a limitless God. I believe time and time again throughout Scripture, God has proved this fact over and over and over again. Nothing could be more clear as he took the time to respond to Job's railings uh, in the book of Job by asking a series of questions after Job and his friends had so many things to say. You would find those series of questions, we don't have time to deal with it, but within Job chapter 38, all through, throughout Job 
chapter 41. Within Job 38 through Job chapter 41, God would ask several questions that would sound like this in the beginning. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? What, what is the length? What is the breadth? What is the height? Job would be questioned by God, and in God questioning, questioning Job, it would become absolutely clear that man is limited, but God is limitless. Yet even though man is limited, God throughout the history of man has used us in his majestic plan of redemption. He used Adam and brought forth Eve. He used Noah to save creation from the flood. He used old man Abraham and his barren wife to bring forth Isaac, who was the son of promise. He used Joseph to save his people alive. He used Moses to guide the children of Israel from Egypt, leading and guiding them in the wilderness. He used Joshua to lead the people of Canaan. He used David to envision the temple, but his son Solomon to build it. I'm trying to help us to see that even though we are limited in our capacity and limited in our strength, we do serve a limitless God. Not only did he use man in his amazing plan of redemption, but whenever he used these individuals, he also empowered them and blessed them with the means and the tools to do whatever tasked, task he had called them to do. Moses, for example, was blessed with his rod and with his brother Aaron. Solomon was blessed with wisdom, wisdom beyond measure. Samson was blessed with, blessed with divine and, 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 and superhuman strength. Joseph had his ability to interpret dreams, and the list goes on and on and on. As Brother Witt would have often said, whoever God calls, Witt is listening online right now. You got to stay with me. You got to track with me. Whoever God calls, he quips. There was seemingly no limit to what God would have given them in order to accomplish their tasks, which is clear to see by some of the great miracles and the feats that many of the people of God would have performed. However, I want us to realize that equipping takes on different forms and isn't always easy. Let me repeat that one more time. Equipping these individuals, equipping saints, equipping Christians takes on different forms and isn't always easy. To equip someone is to prepare that person or persons for a particular task at hand. To equip is to provide, supply, to outfit, to furnish, or to qualify an individual or individuals. A good teacher understands, and, and the teachers could say amen here if, if, if this is true, a good teacher understands that this equipping must cover the understudies or the students' physical, 
emotional and mental faculties depending on the area or field being pursued. Jesus being the master teacher and the one who Matthew in his gospel highlights as the Messiah is not only concerned with the physical, the mental, and the emotional well-being of his disciples, but he has come in pursuit in equipping the saints for their faith journey. That is to say, while Jesus, yes, is concerned with equipping us physically and mentally and emotionally, his main priority of focus is equipping us in our faith. So repeat after me. It's a faith thing. Come on, stay with me. It's a faith thing. As a teacher, Jesus understands that there must be Number one, a theory aspect to teaching. The theory aspect to teaching for all intents and purposes is the classroom setting. That's the teacher telling you what you need to do. Not only does Jesus understand the, the value of the theory aspect, but he also understands the second aspect of teaching or learning, which is the demonstration. The demonstration now is me showing you what to do. But not only does Jesus understand the value of the theory, not only does Jesus understand the value of the demonstration, but true learning, that is true understanding, only comes really from the practical. So after I have told you what to do, after we have gone through the text and I give you the information or I identify the information, now I must demonstrate it. So in other words, have you, have you ever taken a child and, and showed that child how to bake a cake? Or, or, or show that child how to, 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 to make a dish of some sort. You, you, you start off by telling the child what the, ingredi or what the ingredients are. These are the ingredients that we're going to use. And you might outline very briefly, as best as you can, to, to a five-year-old, the process of taking all these ingredients, eggs and flour and sugar and milk. You might outline for them a quick process of what you are going to do in order for those ingredients to come together and make a beautiful cake. But... You move from telling them what to do to what? Demonstration, which is showing them what to do. Well, the only way they will perfect this thing, the only way you could truly know if they learned from your teaching is not only telling them and not only showing them, but they have to go to the next stage of practicing this thing for themselves. Do you realize that when you did, did a thing for the very first time, you made mistakes? Do you realize that the thing that you might now be proficient in, there was a time in your, in your life where it didn't come out perfect? I know we have some good bakers here because I've already begun to taste your cakes. <laughs> and may I just say they have been good cakes. But even the best bakers... When they started off baking, didn't bake the perfect cake. Even the strongest Christians, even the strongest men and women of God, when they started off in their journey, their, their faith may have become mature, but it, it took some time. Abraham is, was known as the father of faith, but Abraham had some missteps. 
Moses was, was deemed as a true man of God, but Moses made some missteps. David was seen as a man after God's own heart, but David had some missteps. I'm trying to help us to recognize that at the end of the day, we don't start off perfect. We don't start off mature. It takes a process. There is learning, there is demonstration, but there is also the practice. So if you and I find ourselves in a situation where we truly do some introspection, where we take stock of our spiritual lives and we recognize that there are places of weakness, we recognize that there are places that we need to be strengthened in, just know that it may not necessarily mean that we have not been taught about it. Of course, according to Christianity, it doesn't mean that we have never been shown it because we have the perfect example in Christ, but it just might mean that you need to spend some time doing it. If you're struggling with your tongue, it might mean you, you, you have to practice some more talking less. If you, <laughs> let me qualify my statements. If you find yourself saying things you ought not to say. <laughs> it just might mean. <clears throat> Thank you, church. But you see what I'm saying? If you find yourself struggling with, with an unforgiving heart, it just might mean that you might have to try to practice more Forgiveness, whatever the area of struggle in you is, it just might mean that you have to spend time actually doing the thing that you are struggling in. So it's more than just head knowledge. A lot of us have head knowledge. We already have the demonstration of the thing, but God is saying in order for us to perfect the lessons, in order for us to really grow and to learn, we need to be, get to the, to the place where we practice that thing. So repeat after me one more time. It's a faith thing. Here is what Matthew does as I move along really quickly. In the book of Matthew, there's a, there's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of teaching in the book of Matthew. But for purpose of our lesson, here is what Matthew does as we, as we identify these three areas of theory, theory, demonstration, and practical. In 5 through 7, Jesus is there in the Sermon on the Mount. And guess what he's doing? He is giving them the theory. And as he's giving them the theory on, in this Sermon on the Mount, this dissertation, this discourse on the Sermon on the Mount, he is, he is challenging them Check these three areas, and there are more, but these are the three areas I, I want to utilize for the purpose of the sermon. He is challenging them in their, with their heart. How is your heart? He is challenging them. You could find that in chapter 5. He is challenging them in their approach. How is your approach to your religious walk? That's chapter 6. And in chapter number 7, he is challenging them in their attitude. I'm saying that you could find more as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm using these three for the purposes of our, our lesson. So in Matthews 5 through 7, there is the theory. He is challenging their heart. He is challenging their approach. He is challenging their attitude. As you get to chapter 8 and 9, he moves on, at least Matthew in his progression, Jesus in his ministry moves on from the theory. I'm telling you what you need to know in order to be profitable in the sight of God. 
So he moves from theory, he moves from just telling them to now some demonstrations. Well, in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, he, he demonstrates via miracles and the life that he, Jesus, would have led. Chapter 8, you would find that he would cleanse a leper. He, he heals a centurion servant. He heals the mother-in-law of Peter who was sick with a fever. And I have to put a little side note here. This was not a normal fever that she would have just recovered from. The indication was that this was a fever or an indicator that she was close even maybe to death. And so I, I'm saying that because there's there something to be said about all of these, 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 these healers we have today where everybody has a headache and, and everybody has a little pain here and there and so they pray for you and they touch you and all of a sudden you're healed. I'm trying to help us to understand that this wasn't just a mere fever where she could have gone and boiled a bush and drink that water and get better. No, no, no. By all indication, this was something, an indicator that she was bedridden and she was close to dying. So this was serious, serious business. So here in chapter 8, it tells us that he heals Peter's mother-in-law from this fever, this illness, whatever it was. People who are demons and spirits. I want you to notice very well what's taking place. People who are demons and spirits. Jesus demonstrated a power to cast them out. But I want you to note this. In chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, here is where we have this first account of a storm within the confines of Matthew. And within this storm, Jesus is actually with the disciples on the boat. The boat finds itself in a storm, but Jesus is down in the ship fast asleep. The disciples and everybody else is on top, and they're going crazy. They eventually go down to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we are dying? <laughs> Jesus would say to them, oh, you of, so it's a what? Faith thing. And Jesus would take the occasion to, to, to say to the winds and to the waves, be still. No sooner did Jesus say to the winds and the waves, be still, did the storm disappear, did the storm disappear, and now they marvel. This is found in verse number 27 of chapter number 8. Now they marvel, and here's the question that they ask, what kind of man? is this, that the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples some valuable lessons. But many a times, they don't get it. And so he has to put them in positions. I'm using my words really carefully. He has to put them in a position to get the lesson that he's trying to teach them. In this first instance, in this storm, they, they recognize Jesus' power. In this first instance, in the storm, they, they recognize his ability to do great things, things that the average man couldn't do, yet still, they are still wondering within him, themselves, what type of man is this? They, they haven't recognized just yet the, 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 the thing that Matthew is trying to get his audience to recognize, which is Jesus wasn't just a mere man. He was a Messiah, and being a Messiah, he came with the authority and the, and the power of God Almighty. John would start off his gospel account in a clear way in trying to identify Jesus as not simply being a mortal being, but being God incarnate in the flesh. That is, 100% man, while at the same time being 100% God. 
You remember these words, right? In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him, and without Him was nothing created that was made. Go on to verse number 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus wasn't just a man, but He was God in the flesh. And they just didn't realize it just yet. So in chapter number 8, when Jesus stills the storm, they still ask the question, what type of man is this? Matthew takes occasion to write that. But remember, it's a faith thing. He goes on to heal two men with demons. This is the account where he casts the demons into the swine, and the swine go off the cliff. Then later on in chapter number 9, he heals a paralytic. But here's the thing he also does. In chapter 9, he rebukes the Pharisees for questioning the disciples about he, Jesus, eating with tax collectors and sinners. He would go on to state in, in verse number 12, and 13 of chapter 9, to those that were there described with the Pharisees particularly, he would say, those who are well need no physician, but those who are sick. Go learn what, what this means. I desire to have mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to the righteous, but to the sinners. What are you doing, Jesus? I'm I'm trying to teach you something. I, I need for you to see it in the demonstration, but there's going to come the time where you put it into practice. The Pharisees were trying to instill doubt, but Jesus was trying to instill faith. And so along the way, Jesus uh, really places us, God places us in positions where he wants us to instill a faith that's stronger but the, the enemy, which is the devil, he wants to instill in us fear and doubt and frustration and everything else. But God is saying, the reason why you are going through this is not so that you could grow in fear, it's not so that you could grow in doubt, but the reason why you are going through this, I know it might be frustrating and I know it might be hard, the reason why I have you going through this is so that you could grow in faith. So in chapter number 10, here comes the practical. And the practical, he sends out the 12 uh, for the very first time. He tells them things like, don't go to the Gentiles or to the, the cities of the Samaritans. He'll, he'll eventually tell them, go into all the world. He tells them, listen, heal the sick. Check the list. Raise the dead. Cleanse the leper. Cast out demons. Do you see the pattern? So in chapter 8, Jesus does everything that he asks them to do, or he commands them to do. You guys with me? That is to say, Jesus never tells us to do something that he wasn't prepared to have done himself. It's funny how that works, right? He tells them, don't take money or extra stuff. Why is that? Because he wants the disciples to learn what it means to trust wholeheartedly in him. Because at the end of the day, remember, it's a faith thing. So we wrap up chapter 10 essentially with Jesus telling the disciples that I'm sending you into danger. But don't fear. I'm sending you into some trouble. But don't be afraid. 
I'm sending you into some situations you have never encountered before. You have seen me done it, and you have taken strength because I was the one that was doing it. You were just in the background looking out and looking in. But now it's your turn to go and do what you've seen me do. Now it's your turn to go out into the world and to be a light. It's your turn to go out into the world and bring those who are broken to the one who is able to heal them. So I'm going to send you to have some conversations with some folks. I'm going to send you to be a light to, to people that you are well familiar with, and then later on you'll tell them going to all the world. I'm going to send you to individuals who, historically speaking, you never had a connection with. Why is that? Because you have something that they need. Let me hurry really quickly as I get to my text. One's faith is greatly affected by other areas of one's life. If that person's faith isn't trained to not be affected by them. To put that another way, oftentimes our faith is influenced whenever we are touched physically, emotionally, and mentally. But Jesus rather is saying, your faith is supposed to be the thing that influences the physical, the emotional, and the mental. So he wants them to learn this lesson, which brings us to our text really quickly in the book of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Notice in our text, and I know we've read it, and I, I really don't have time to go through all of this again, but notice in the text, the scripture tells us just prior to Jesus sending them on this boat to go to the other side, they are on the Sea of Galilee, and just prior to that, Jesus had just fed a multitude. He had just fed a multitude so great that, 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 that Matthew records it in this way. He fed about a multitude that was about 5,000 men, not counting or including the women and the children that were there. So, so all Matthew records is the number of men that were there, that, that were recipients of this meal that Jesus gave. And unless you forgot what, what really happened there, there was a huge multitude. Jesus, Jesus was teaching them, and he understood, he understood that they were now hungry, and so they were looking for food, and there was a little boy who had some little loaves and some little fishes, not enough to even feed 10 grown adults, far less for 5,000 grown men. And Jesus takes that thing and he, he blesses it and he breaks it and he passes and he blesses and he breaks it and he passes and he blesses and he breaks it and he passes and he blesses and he breaks it and he passes and he blesses and he breaks it and he passes. And every time he blesses and he breaks, he passes. And every time he blesses and he breaks, instead of it becoming limited in number, the quantity becomes limitless because anytime God puts his hand on something that is limited, that thing has the capacity to be limitless. You guys not seeing this. When God has his hand on you, all who is limited, and if we trust the God who has us in the palms of his hand, he will take us in our limited state and give us unlimited power. You remember when he called Moses, don't you? Moses said, God, blah, 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 I can't speak. God said, you don't worry, I'll put the words in your mouth. <laughs> we are limited. David thought he, they, they thought David was too small to face Goliath, but, but David trusted in the God that he served. And so God was able to take a little boy to slay 
to slay a huge giant. I'm just trying to help us to see that God is able to take the limited that he has and turn it limitless. Well, God, Jesus just fed a multitude, and now he tells the disciples, I want you to go before me, get on this boat, and go to the other side. But I want you to notice in the text, Jesus is the one who sends them ahead. Probably because he has a plan in place. You see, if you don't learn the lesson the first time, we are going to have to find a way and a means to help you in a second demonstration so that you could put it into practice a second, a third, and a fourth time until you get it. And all you need to do is look at the children of, the, of Israel in the wilderness to understand that they didn't get it. So they had to spend some time getting it in the wilderness for 40 years. Have you ever struggled with something for a period of time? And you realize that the reason why you have been struggling with that, with that thing for a period of time is because you haven't really learned the lesson that you were supposed to learn in the midst of your struggle? The moment you, you came to the reality of the lesson that you were supposed to learn, the moment you came to the reality of what you needed to do, you overcame that thing. But it's funny how it works because the thing that we are struggling with, that's the, those situations pop up over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until we learn the lesson that we need to learn. If you're struggling with pornography, I'll, 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 tell, you, I'll tell you how this works. If you're struggling with pornography... You, you, you view it for the first time, you view it for the second time, you know you're not supposed to look at these things, da, 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 but, but, but you still continue to struggle with it, and so you won't stop until you recognize that you need to stop. <laughs> you won't stop until you recognize that maybe you need to stay away from the computer in the hours that you are going in it at night. You won't stop until you recognize, well, listen, uh, they, 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 that start off in me before I actually engage in the act, so when you recognize the trigger point, this might be a good time to go and take a jog. <laughs> This might be a good time to call, to call a friend, to call a family. This might be a good time to do something different than what I've been doing all these past five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I'm trying to help us to understand that the thing that we are struggling with, God is going to send situations over and over and over again until we learn what we need to do to overcome. It is a faith thing. And I'm almost done. Let me show you this really quickly. So the scripture says, Jesus, need for us to see that Jesus sends them on ahead on this ship. The ship ends up in the middle of a storm. But not only does the ship end up in the middle of a storm, the scripture tells us the, the time that the storm took place and the time that Jesus comes to walk on the water. It's the, it's the darkest period in the Jewish day, the darkest period of the Jewish, it's the fourth night's watch. This is the hours between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., if you are a person who were, were a sailor, you understood that this was, this was the most superstitious time for you as a sailor. Because oftentimes, whenever they had these tales of, 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 of things that happened on the sea, these ghost tales and, and all of these monster tales, it, always, it almost always took place in the fourth night's watch of the day. <laughs> so here it is, the, 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 the boat is in the middle of the sea. Middle of the sea, that's there for a reason, which is to say... If they had the choice to go back, maybe they could have. But if you're in the middle of a situation, don't you think, if you're in the midst of a storm, in the middle, literally, of a situation, don't you think it might just be better, if you had to go anywhere, it would be better to just go forward? 
But sometimes we might be in the middle of stuff and it's our intention and the reality is we go back, we revert when Jesus says, you just need to press on through. So they're in the middle of a boat. All right, Joe David, get ready. <laughs> they're in the middle of a boat, in the middle of the sea, but check this, it's in the middle of a storm. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus now recognizes it's time. Jesus, Jesus could have start, started his walk, his, his walk three hours earlier. But Jesus waits at the right time. There, there's a reason why Jesus is called the master teacher. A good teacher is not going to stop a child and take, take the flower away when a little mess is being made. A good teacher is not going to take the saw or the hammer away from the apprentice because the apprentice is cutting the wood a little bit too janky at the time. He's going to do, the good teacher is going to wait just long enough for the apprentice or for the student to do what they feel that they need to do so that when it is they mess up well enough, he can come in and say, listen, look at what you did. This is not, one, what I taught you. This is not, number two, what I showed you. Try again. So Jesus waits just at the right time to come down off the mountain and start his walk. Could you picture this? Could you really picture this? There, there is waves and there is wind and they are in the middle of a storm and Jesus is walking like it's nothing. I, I don't know if Jesus had a, a bounce. I don't know if Jesus had, had swag, but he, he, he walks. He walks like if it's nothing. Because a storm church is nothing to the God that created it. But here's what I want us to see and I'll be done. They looked up, they saw a figure in the distance. And the only thing that came to mind was that this has to be a ghost. And as soon, no sooner did they identify that figure as being a ghost, all of a sudden now the entire boat goes into pandemonium. Sometimes it just takes one person to strike fear, doubt, and disbelief into the multitude. We're not going to talk about that today. But they are all afraid. But Peter has the presence of mind. Do anybody know what 1 John 4.1 says? 1 John 4.1 says, don't believe every spirit, but try every spirit, whether it be of God or not. For he goes on to say there are many false prophets out there in the world. So Peter has the presence of mind in the middle of his fear. It's one thing to have fear, church. It's the next thing to be crippled by it. So Peter has the presence of mind to try the spirit. Lord, is it you? If it's you, bid me to come out on the water. And all Jesus says is, come. Peter starts walking on the water. You guys remember the story? Peter starts walking on the water. He started off in faith. And as he started off in faith, he was doing something that only God had the power and the ability to do. I love that because in the book of Job, chapter number 38 and verse number 16, here is the question God would have asked to Job. 
Have you entered into the springs of the sea? I like the HCSV version of this. Have you traveled to the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the ocean? In other words, what God was asking Job was, have you walked on water yet? And Job ultimately understands the only person that has the capacity to walk on water is God himself. What is Jesus doing? He's walking on water. What does Jesus empower Peter to do? Come on, to walk on water too. I'm trying to help us understand and see this. God gives us the ability to do what only God could do. Who else could forgive sins but God? But yet still he says, if a man commits a sin against you, do what? Come on. (laughs) Who else could bring salvation to man but God? But yet still Paul would say he has given us these these earthly vessels. He has placed within us these eternal treasures. What's the treasures? The treasures of the salvation word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. God empowers the limited, the, 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 the human being to do what only God could do. I'm not saying that you have the power to forgive sins as God does. But I'm saying we have the capacity to forgive others. So here's what I want us to see as we close. There are some things that Jesus would have taught the disciples in this particular message. Come on, Joe David, get up. <laughs> Let's all stand. Come on, Joe David, get up. (laughs) So Peter starts off walking. And as he starts off walking, something takes place between him coming out of the boat, walking on the water, and ultimately getting to where Jesus was. Something takes place to where he he now loses sight of the person he was walking to, and he began to sink. The scripture says that when they were in the boat, the storm was already raging. The scripture says that when they were in the boat, the winds were already contrary, the waves were already contrary, so the conditions were the same when he was in the boat as when he stepped out of the boat. In other words, I want us to appreciate this, Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to know the conditions that you are going into. The conditions will not always be conducive. It won't always be nice. It's going to be treacherous at times. You have that foreknowledge. So Peter was in the boat, already in the storm. When he stepped out and he began to to walk on water, the storm was still raging. But the only difference between him stepping out of the boat and walking on water and him sinking was he began to focus more on the winds and the waves and the chaos around him than the God that he was walking to. You guys, that was a good place to say amen. Because here's the reality. Jesus wants us to recognize that the same faith that we got up out of the boat and started walking on water on is the same faith that is able to keep us while we walk on the water to get to him. But oftentimes we become so distracted by the chaos. The chaos of COVID, we get distracted. The chaos of society, we get distracted. Oftentimes, we we get distracted by the chaos that we see in life, the mental, the emotional, and the physical, that those things, we allow those things to affect the faith. And the last time I checked, it's a what? It's a faith thing. Preach this with me. I'm almost done. It's a faith thing. So Jesus says, oh, you of little what? 
faith. Wherefore did you doubt? But the truth is, as, 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 as Peter begins to sing, the very first thing Peter does is he cries out, Lord, save me. And the scripture says immediately, I'm telling you, a good teacher knows when to reach down. When the time was right, Jesus came walking on the water. When the time was right, Jesus reached down and pulled Peter out. Because it's a lesson that he's trying to teach. And he hopes that Peter gets. Take these four points down if you're taking notes. Here's what I want us to remember from this text, and we'll be done. Because it's a faith thing, here is what Jesus wants us to do. Remember the lessons learned prior to you getting into your storm. Step out on faith, that's number two, and continue in faith. Number three, don't be distracted by the chaos around you or around us. Number four, never take your eyes off of Jesus. And number five, even though and when you fail, don't fail to call on Jesus. Because as the fusion topic and my sermon title says, Jesus' power will always bring us through. Repeat with me one more time, and Joe David will begin singing. Elders, come up. If you have a prayer request, please come forward and make it be known. Repeat with me one more time, loud and proud, so that those who are on Facebook and wherever could hear. It's a faith thing.